0: There are so many questions about the timing of events and how the book of Revelation is laid out. There are um, four major end times views. Mm-hmm. And in the book of Revelation, you can go into all kinds of machinations to try to make it say what you want, but we don't really want to do that. I mean, if, proper way to exegete scripture is to take a straightforward run at it and um, just try to understand it as best as possible. You could do a lesson on hermeneutics, and that would take... That could take several lessons, but even one good lesson would be an hour. But basically, um, there is symbolic language in the book of Revelation. But where that symbolic language is it's um it it, it, most of the time it's going to be obvious like in nature you don't see a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns so we understand that that's symbolic it really helps when you continue reading in the passage and it says and here's the meaning of and it tells you how to understand what the big red dragon is and what the heads are and what the horns are and all that kind of stuff the other thing you could do is you can go back to older Old Testament books like uh, Daniel, and there might be similar language in there, and you can figure out how to uh, understand it based on that. Sometimes you look for words um, such as uh, like and as. Um, his eyes were like a flame of fire. They weren't literal literal fire, they were like fire. I've had my mom look at me like that when I was a little kid. <laughs> Her eyes were like a flame of fire, it had to do with judgment. Um, And uh, feet as bronze, or literal bronze feet, but we understand what that means based on uh, Old Testament passages that talk about judgment and bronze and so forth. So we uh, we want to take a look at passages um, in in that type of a light. Uh, If you go straying away from a, a normal, straightforward, or what's called a literal, interpretation of the bible then it's open to all kinds of whatever i mean really you can symbolize it all away and say whatever it means whatever you want it to mean and um you know who gets to decide what it means do i get to decide what it means or is it the person who has a, um you know the oldest person the person of a highest rank in a church or at a university gets to decide the one with the most degrees after their name gets to decide what the meaning is or maybe it's by democratic vote everybody gets to vote on what it means so it's dangerous ground when you start symbolizing away scripture now the um excuse me of of the different major schools of thought um, in eschatology only the premillennial view will take a, a literal interpretation of of uh the entire bible and in particular the um the book of revelation and then uh, everything else they fall back on all kinds of uh figurative language or symbolic language Uh, they have to because what ends up happening is you you want to keep your your pet doctrine so what you do is um you just start looking at things in a figurative kind of a way, because that must be what it means. Well, that number can't mean that, because that messes with my theology, so I'm going to say it's symbolic for something else. So you start symbolizing it away, and next thing you know, who gets to decide? Hey, maybe the cross is symbolic, right? Maybe it's not real. Maybe the resurrection is symbolic. Uh, How about Song of Solomon? That whole thing is symbolic anyway, so maybe that's apocalyptic language, and we really can't understand any of it any any figurative language we can't understand it so next thing you know you symbolize the whole bible away and um you know it creates a big mess it's a big compromise so um understand that what, what i'm getting ready to do here is going to be from uh, a dispensational premillennial pre-tribulational um perspective and if you have questions about it please ask uh, some people keep popping on to YouTube, and they'll just uh, slam down a, uh, a statement and walk away. Uh, for instance, I say, there is no two trip, and then they walk away. Yeah, that's it. You have no exegesis. You have no Bible verse. You have no, there is no tri- There is no rapture. That's another one you get all the time. Another one that pops up all the time is, no man knows the day or the hour, and you just kind of walk away. Figuratively speaking, speaking of figuratively, I don't know if they're really walking away or not, but they leave. They just kind of plop that statement down and walk away. That's a interactionally lazy. Um, examine it. Boom out like the bowls. Examine it. If you have questions, like uh, you know, um, maybe things that comes up, and I've tried to answer several times for people. Is this? Uh, you know, I get a lot of responses about uh, the rapture has to happen at the end. Nothing's, you know, we're going to, we're supposed to go through all kinds of trials and temptations. And the Bible says we need to endure to the end. Um, so that it's verses kind of out of context like that. And I can demonstrate it's out of context. And I do kind of simply, I just take a straightforward, the easiest approach. And I'll say, okay, if we are not raptured until after the tribulation, after the tribulation, you've got the sheep and the goats judgment so forth. And then um, you go into the kingdom, the millennium. Well, if we're not raptured and nobody's raptured until the end and all believers are raptured at the end of the tribulation, that means everybody gets their glorified bodies, right? Where do the mortals come from that go into the millennium? The millennium, you have children described, you have sinners described, and Jesus has to rule with a rod of iron. You have, in the old Testament, you have nations that will fall under judgment because if they don't, um, if they don't come to Jerusalem, um, during the high holy days then uh, the Lord shuts off the rain for them for a time and so forth so this um, you have at, at the end of at the, after the thousand years uh you know Satan has been bound for a thousand years after the thousand years he goes out and he recruits a real quick army and goes up against Jerusalem to fight Jesus where does he get his army there's no mortals all believers have glorified bodies you have no mortals in the in the kingdom at that point because they've all been raptured at the end of the tribulation. And so now everybody's got glorified bodies and that's who goes into the millennium. No mortals. So see, that's just a real quick way of looking, going, okay, well, logically, exegetically, um, when looking at the Bible, hmm, that can't be the case. So this is kind of the way that um, I try to approach scripture and I try to examine whether or not something is true. So I do respond to those things when people ask that. So I try to say, look, logically, we know this about the scripture. We know this happens and we know this happens and we know this happens. So if you say the the rapture happens at the end of the tribulation, then how do these other things in the scripture that it describes happen? Um, some people will say the kingdom, the kingdom is spiritual. Again, it's one of those, another one of those beliefs that spiritualizes things. The kingdom is spiritual. It's among us now spiritually and eventually it's going to be spiritually in heaven the kingdom is going to be in heaven well we got all kinds of uh you know um a wolf laying down with a lamb a kid playing in a viper pit that won't be um, bitten we've got all kinds of other animals described too you know like lions and things that aren't allowed to walk on the king's highway and it describes Egypt, so Egypt and the other nations are up there in heaven too, because for the kingdom it describes the nations and Egypt and so forth, and it describes them being there. Um, so it has to be uh, there's there's uh, no temple in heaven, um, as it's described um, in some places, but yet, so you have to get rid of the temple in Ezekiel thirty or forty to forty-eight. <clears throat> so that all takes on a symbolic meaning. The throne of Christ is all up there in heaven. There's nothing on earth. There is no maybe. There's no earth anymore. So you you got to really get creative and perform some biblical gymnastics to make a bunch of different verses work. And um, <clears throat> I, I'll be honest, I you know that takes some creativity. I would rather not have to apply the Bible because that's a road I would rather not go down. So. I rather just take the the literal view and by literal it just means straightforward literal jesus said i am the door we don't you know he doesn't have a doorknob over here and then hinges over here whatever Um, so he's not a literal door we know that symbolic language symbolic language becomes obvious context helps us um, determine what the meaning is we know what jesus means when he says i'm the door and he says i'm the way the truth and the life Um, so we understand these things so anyway um if you have questions Um, fire away. I'm going to go through this real quick. It's going to be a real quick overview, and I might miss some things, and for that I I apologize. Uh, In fact, I definitely will miss some things. Some of it I mean to miss, and I might misstate something once in a while. I've got Egypt on my brain lately, and I keep saying Egypt when I meant Babylon. That's happened to two Bible studies lately, and it just happens that way sometimes. So grab your coffee Power drink, whatever it is you need. Sit down. Um, You can crack your Bible open and kind of flip with me if you want, and also keep an eye on the timeline. Um, Let me do this. Let me do this this way. So here we are. And um, Book of Revelation, and I, I've kind of got a a timeline here, and I'm hoping it will work properly. Here is an outline for the book of revelation okay revelation is apocalyptic apocalypsis now a lot of people will say some of these groups like to symbolize things away they will say the book of revelation and many other um prophetic books or books with symbolism in them are apocalyptic literature we can't really understand them it's it's uh all full of symbolism and figurative language and it's just it's for greater minds than whoever disagrees with them to come up with the correct answers, okay? But the word apocalypsis means an unveiling, it's an uncovering, it's a revealing revelation. The apocalypsis of Jesus Christ, it's the disclosure. So it means the opposite of the way they're using it. It doesn't mean the obfuscation of Jesus Christ, the shrouding and uh, uh, and uh, veiling of Jesus Christ. It's the opposite of that. So. We should understand scripture in this light, that uh, it, when it comes to the book of Revelation, that the apocalypse is the unveiling, it's the revealing. So these things are being revealed to us. Now the dating, although a mo- minority, and it's primarily, again, I'm speaking again of, of like these groups, they like to date it uh, before 70 AD. 70 AD is when Jerusalem was sacked um, by Nero and his ilk. It, and, um, <coughs> excuse me, Still fighting my cold, I apologize for an occasional cough and I hope it'll blow your eardrums out. So they'd like to move the date of the writing of the book of Revelation before 70 AD because they like to say that Jesus in, in all of that discourse was talking about 70 AD and the book of Revelation symbolically is a bunch of the stuff that happened in the first century. <clears throat> so it works out really convenient if you twist and bend things around a little bit to where it all happens before 70 AD. So. It just doesn't fit though. Irenaeus, uh, Clement of Alexandria, Origen, Victronius, Eusebius, Jerome, they all give Domitian, um, the uh, Caesar at the time, uh, Domitian as the period of writing. And He ruled from about 81 to 96 AD. Now to further complicate things, let see, that's from whom John was on the Isle of Patmos where he wrote this. Now, to further complicate things, what, what uh, makes it very difficult for the early days is Jesus in Revelation chapter 2, verse 13, he names his faithful martyr Antipas. Um, and Antipas was a believer who died in a brass bowl. You've seen that horrific form of torture and execution um, during Domitian's reign, further setting a later date. So, approximate date most people come down about 95 AD so Domitian who died well after 70 AD during um, not Domitian Antipas who died well after um, uh, 70 AD is named <clears throat> by Jesus in the second chapter of Revelation so that being the case um, 90, 95 AD is, is probably the best date, 90 to 95, somewhere in that in that window. The, the outline is in this verse that um, popped up here on your screen and showed it anyway. Write, therefore, this is from Chapter 1, I'm sorry, 119. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are, those things that are, and those that are to take place, after this um and in other words after a metatata after these things the things that um are the things that um that are so write about the things in the past the things that are right now and the future is basically what he's saying that's the outline of of the book of revelation and this is what he says in chapter one my favorite view my favorite view and i uh, i forget who first came up with this i've heard a couple people say it and i like it is um when jesus is telling john in chapter one write the things that you have seen i believe it fits right in with a, a dating of where john could have written the gospel of john from the isle of patmos and so that would be the things that he's seen concerning christ when he came the first time those things that are are in chapters two and three and it's the church age and there's a lot we could go into about that um, the church age those are all types of churches that really existed in Turkey at the time, but notice a lot of churches aren't in there. You know, Corinth is not in there. Um, for instance, Colossae is not in there. The Church of Jerusalem is not in there. So Jesus picked out some specific churches with some um, warnings and some, some cautions and so forth and some praise um, for some, of, um, but not all of them. Um, And he laid them out in the order for a particular reason. One is the order is kind of in the order that uh, a courier carrying a letter from somebody and running from church to church to deliver a letter. That's kind of the route they would take. But also, uh, folks have remarked on how uh, if you lay out those seven churches that are in chapters 2 and 3, if you lay them out in order, they do kind of fit the order uh, and of the um, church at large, the universal church, or the most influential church, let me put it that way, most universal um, representation of the universal church throughout history. I'm not necessarily saying they are the true church, there's a lot of false churches, and also um, the main church through history, the Roman Catholic Church um, was populated largely by people who were not of the universal the body of christ church of christ they were members of the catholic roman catholic church but that didn't make them so that was the influential church at the time we see that for instance in fire big time where works is emphasized and mentioned a couple of times in very works-based type of thing so anyway um note that and um and, and study that and, and uh it's really remarkable how close it is plus our individual churches sometimes will fit the pattern of, of one of those churches. You know, you got Ephesus, the church that left its first love. Um, is, you know, is this your church? Is this a concern? Is this you individually? And um, Jesus offers some cautions, and we need to look in our own hearts, examine ourselves, and see if this kind of fits us. So, there's some great, great cautions there. Now, moving forward, you flip your Bible page over to um, chapter 4. You see, I have the 90 on here and that is uh, about 90 or 95 is about when the um, letter to of uh, revelation was written um, but i kind of fall more on like it's going to be about 95 ad so um so we have john in, in chapter four and five and um, what happens to john is the term metatata that we saw in verse 19, the things that are after these things, it kind of pops up. So now John, in um, in his vision, or or maybe he actually time travel, maybe both is going on here, I don't know. But he finds himself in the throne room of heaven. So he says, after these things, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me and, and um, saying, come up here and I will show you things which must take place. Mattatona after this. So here's John, and he finds himself up in heaven. Now, he saw thrones, four thrones. On the thrones, I saw 24 elders clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their head. and let's get this open here. There are thunderings and lightnings and all this stuff happened. And, and um, it speaks of the sevenfold or the seven spirits of God and so forth that happens. I'm not going to read through verse by verse in this thing. Now, the word, so immediately he finds himself up there. And then we, um, he's before the throne. And so now we're going to start looking at the whole uh, tribulation period as it plays out um, in in the scriptures. <clears throat> word tribulation comes from the greek word philipsis meaning affliction and distress and we all on a daily basis we do have tribulations but jesus speaks of a specific kind that's particularly bad but in um his Olivet Discourse and he talks about great tribulation and there's nothing that's bad uh up before that time um or after that time this this is the worst time in all history we also have a, a so this is a particular type of a, a tribulation a time of trouble that is unlike any time in history you can look at revelation three ten, and again i'm not going to belabor this too much here um but jesus is saying to the faithful church because you've kept my command to persevere i also will keep you from the hour of trial what kind of hour of trial is this john or jesus jesus writing it john's taking it down by dictation it's a kind of which shall come upon the whole world. What does it do? To test those who dwell on the earth. Those who, it's to test. It comes on the whole world, and it's to test those who dwell on the earth. Are the Christians here dwelling on the earth? Because he says, "I'm going to keep you from that hour of trial." So how are they going to get off the earth? If it's the whole earth, and it's to test those who are on the earth, somewhere, somewhere or other, we've got to be off the earth and um, going into the original greek which is uh, this isn't the place i'm going to do that but it it um, uses language that has to do with uh, not going to be there at all not take not carried through it not having to endure it um, not going to be you know it's the word Uh, it's teo ek doesn't mean that we um, go through like noah on the ark Uh, no we're completely removed out of the way which is what the term means And he says, behold, I'm coming quickly, or tacos, I'm coming suddenly. Behold, I'm coming suddenly, like a tachometer. Um, So it's not like, you will see, he said 2,000 years ago he was coming. Now it means like when I'm coming, I'm going to come like a tachometer revving. Uh, It'll be very suddenly. So trouble upon the whole earth, he says, I'm going to keep you from it, from that hour. So how do they get off? Space shuttle? You know, so that is uh, absolutely rapture um, in Revelation 3.10. So um, it's also known in Daniel 9, 24 to 27 as the time of Jacob's trouble uh, or distress. Um, It's Daniel's 70th week in Daniel 9, 24 to 27 as well. Um, A time of trouble or distress in Daniel 12, 1. The great day, uh, the one of their wrath, Revelation 6, 17, the hour of testing, which shall try the whole earth in Revelation 3.10, the indignation in Isaiah 26.26, the tribulation and the great tribulation, great tribulation picks up in um, the middle of Daniel's 70th week, three and a half years in. Um, Verses for that are Matthew 24.9, Matthew 24.21, also verse 29. Mark 13.19 talks about it a bit. And um, it's also mentioned in in, uh, Revelation 7.14. The day of the Lord is mentioned 20 times in the Old Testament, three times in Joel alone. Um, you can see it real quick in, um, uh, let's see, Joel 1.15, 2.1. It's also in 1 Thessalonians 5.2, etc. It's all over the place, the day of the Lord. Um, day of the Lord is often associated with this time of great judgment, so it's God will pour upon the earth against Israel and the nations, but it's also associated with the time of millennial blessings which follow during which the Lord will rule on the earth. So compare Isaiah 13, verses six to 22 speaks of judgment, but in 14, one to three, the result, which comes in peace regarding Israel, we gathered in and, and the blessings. And you can see that in Joel 1, 15 and following in, and in chapter two, um, and so, oh, verses 12 to 18 in Joel 1 and 3.1 and following, um, 2 Peter 3, it's the day of God. And um, it's the day of his wrath in Zephaniah 1.18, day of the Lord's wrath. Day of darkness in Joel 2.2 2, and in Zephaniah 1.15. The day of the Lord um, in Scripture is often associated with this, this time, like I say, and so, uh, we see it's an extraordinary time of wrath. And we see this wrath also in Ezekiel 38, um, you know, regarding Gog and Magog and, and th- those events going on. It's God's great indignation, and his wrath, and he, as he brings Gog into it. So there's a unique structure that goes on here. And, and um, we can look at it here in, um, as it picks up in chapter 6, we've got the numbers there, chapters 4 and 5, also, um, in Chapter 6, we get seven seals, and notice that the glowing yellow line on the, on the left-hand side, and that's because there's kind of a, a break there, and this seems to be a pattern um, in the structure. So the Lord will give um, six seals, tell us what it's about, and then there'll be a break before the seventh seal, and something else will be described. A lot of times, most of the time, there'll be a parenthetical chapter um, as an interlude in between. And then what happens is the seventh seal harkens to seven trumpets, which is fascinating. So the sixth seal, when that seal is broken, it brings the seven t- trumpets. Um, seven trumpets you'll see in chapters eight um, and nine, and, but it follows a similar pattern where you've got six trumpets And in between the 6th and 7th trumpet, there'll be uh, another break in between. And um, it'll describe something and more of what's going on in some detail, but it's a little bit of a break. And it might even be a time break between the 6th and 7th seal as some events happen. And then you get to the 7th seal, and the 7th seal, or I'm sorry, trumpet. And the 7th trumpet that blows and it heralds um, it will herald the bowl judgments, and those are in chapter 16. So that's fascinating. Then you've got um, the seven bowls, and it's the same kind of an animal where you've got six bowls, and then the um, there'll be a break after that, and then finally you'll read about the seventh of, of the bowls. Um, Here's the pattern that we probably should be familiar with in the middle. Uh, is uh, There's war in heaven. There's um, The two witnesses are, are slain. They land the street within four days, three and a half days, actually. Uh, they are resurrected, and, and they stand on their feet, and they go up. Now, what I have written down here, too, are there are, in addition to, a lot of people miss, miss this, but in addition to the seals, trumpets, and bowls, oh, my, um, are the woes. You have three different woes and we can time when the woes are. We can kind of stick a pin in those and stick a pin in when the, the timing of the trumpets because of when the woes land and what they describe. So you have the first woe in chapter 9 and the second woe in chapter 11. And um, so we also have our, about the two witnesses. I will grant uh, authority to my two witnesses and they will prophesy for 1260 days clothed in sackcloth. Now, I've covered this before. how uh, I believe that that all is in the first half of the tribulation and the reasons why, um, because the nature of the way they resurrect and what's going on on the earth when they resurrect. So, when they die, um, what you ends up happening is you it this is uh, during the uh uh Pas- passion week in that vicinity that time frame that month of Nisan um, when christ went to the cross So there's a lot of holy days that go on there um and they created so much trouble on the earth for the wicked for the sinners that when satan is kicked out of heaven in revelation chapter 12. michael steps up and kicks him down and and satan's wings are clipped so he no longer has access to the throne satan has access to the throne right now because he's what he's ever before the throne of grace and he's accusing the saints right we see this in job chapter one and in job chapter two where satan is up there accusing accusing job and accusing others at this point he's no longer allowed to do that so he's kicked down to the earth and he's angry Because he and he knows his time's short, so he starts his scorched earth policy policy at that point. So what Satan does, I think one of the first things he does is he he goes and he possesses Antichrist. Um, What the exact order is here, I don't know, but he possesses Antichrist at this point, and that's where we get the beast. The beast is Satan possessed Antichrist. Do we have precedence for this? We do. The one thing is Judas. Judas, I'm sorry, Judas was possessed by Satan, right? And uh, Jesus leans over to him and says, what you must do, do quickly. You know, in other words, go be about your business and go do it. This is at the, uh, the Last Supper, right? So uh, sometimes this happens, and this happens here. So this is where we get the beast. Satan comes down, possesses Antichrist. Another thing that happens is, is um, Satan, the great dragon, who is now in Antichrist, goes after the two witnesses and, and slays them. And then they lay in the streets for three and a half days. And while they're laying in the streets for three and a half days, everybody's partying. They're exchanging gifts. They make a holiday out of it. And their bodies are laying there in the streets. And finally, after three and a half days, the whole world is watching as they pop up on the feet because the Lord breathes life into them. And then they, the whole world is watching and they ascend into heaven. So um, now let's contrast this with the end of the book of Revelation. By the end of the book of Revelation, just some highlights of some things that are going on. We had a big CME pop off, and it scorched a bunch of men, um, and and the Earth is black. Everything's burnt. All kinds of bad things happen. You got a, something, a chunk of the corona from the sun um, hits the Earth, and it's going to be bad news, um, and it's going to it's going to create a lot of damage. We've got, um, whereas we've had in the seals. In the seals, you had a great earthquake there where um, all the islands have been shaken and all the mountains have been, been shaken, and it um, uh, one third of the world is destroyed. That comes out to about two billion people. And then, by the time you get into the middle up here, you get into the trumpets, um, another. Well, you had one-quarter of the Earth destroyed in the seals, you got one-third of the, of the world destroyed in the trumpets. If you start off with 8 billion, assuming that it happens um, very soon, you have a population of about uh, 8 billion. If one-quarter is destroyed, that means 2 billion people die. So that leaves 6 billion people alive on the Earth, roughly. Uh, if one-third of that 6 is destroyed, that's another 2 billion. Um, so that means half the world is wiped out just in the seals and trumpets alone. Um, so then we get into, later on, we're going to get into the bowls. We're, we're fixing to show that. But how much the world is wiped out in the bowls. You've, you've had um, massive hail, man-sized hail that's fallen to the earth. You had, um, you had um, in the trumpets, you had a third of the water of the earth turned to blood, but by the time you get to the end of the bowls, the end of the timeline on the right, you've had all the water turned to blood. Um, You've had all these great earthquakes happen to where now um, all of the islands have sunk, bye bye Hawaii, Um, and then you've had all the mountains have been leveled. Say goodbye to all your ski lifts. So those are some, that's some pretty serious, quake activity, plus all the disease that's been going on and things, people are pretty wiped out, Um, Armageddon is going on, literally, now you've got all the armies of the Earth all gathered in the Valley of Megiddo, so you've got Armageddon going on, that's not exactly a party atmosphere where people are going to be exchanging presents, and I don't know about satellite activity and cell phone activity at that time working where everybody in the whole world will be able to watch the two witnesses rise to their feet and ascend into heaven. Um, and so if you've got them going on for 1260 days anyway, uh, and they start in the middle of the tribulation, then that puts them at ascending up into heaven after Jesus has already come back. And they might, what, they're going to kind of pass us as we return with Christ uh, on the way down there, <laughs> they're ascending up? That doesn't So now that really quite makes sense. So it makes a lot more sense, two witnesses at the beginning. And that's possibly through their um, conversion activities and whatever else, and through their leadership, they're leading the 144,000, 12,000 from each of the tribes of Israel. So it makes sense that, that all that great evangelism and things like this and judgment pronouncement um, upon the um, Antichrist and the Babylonian system and all the things that are going on, it makes much more sense that that all is going on um, in Jerusalem from the start all the way to the middle. And again, um, Satan possesses antichrist in the middle so chapter 11 is um what you see is activities that should land right in the middle of the book so chapter nine what's going on is is uh, that this is around it says in, in the 9 one it says and the fifth angel blew his trumpet so there you got the fifth fifth angel in chapter nine right um then the description is followed by the first in chapter in verse 12 of the nine twelve. The first wall has passed. The whole two woes are still to come. So we know that the first wall, as we have it right in here, um, is right about where it should be. Right about where it should be. Um, let's see. Uh, chapter 10 says the angel and the little scroll vision. So we, we can see that's kind of a parenthetical chapter. Chapter 11 is about the two witnesses. So the two witnesses, we just... Uh, as we just discussed and then and then um what it does is it says they are referred referenced here in the mid in the past tense, as though this is completely or completed by the time we get to the second woe so what ends up happening is um the second woe uh flipping the Bible, a quick let's see so you've got let's take a look on the fourth chapter, you've got the 144,000. And so one thing that happens in the middle of the seventh chapter. Is you've got verse 9, and it talks about a great multitude no one can number from many tribes and nations. People are sitting before the throne of God in white robes. And um, and this is where um, we see the martyrs and, and things before the throne of God. Now, why do we see these people here? For the throne, it's weird because it's in the same chapter as 144,000. Well, I personally believe that all this happening by the time you get to the middle of the tribulation, these are the converts and now, um, martyrs, the converts of the 144,000. So, you've got in chapter seven, you've got the sealed 144,000 and their converts, who are now most of them, or many of them, that nobody can number before the throne of God. These are the martyrs, okay, and then in, um, Chapter 8, you've got the seventh seal. And um, the seventh seal, as I said, it's the prelude to the seven trumpets. So, you know, you got vegetation struck in verse 7, second angel sounds, something like a great mountain burning fire falls into the sea. So you've got all these trumpets happening. And then finally, uh, you got the fifth trumpet coincidental with chapter 9. And you got the sixth chapter, uh, sixth trumpet, um, in the middle of chapter nine, and it's the um the angels from the Euphrates, and you've got all these bad demonic creatures coming out, flowing out of Euphrates, and and um you know looking to sting people and so forth, like a scorpion, and um so it's going to be really bad. Then you got a parenthetical book in, in chapter ten, and um, it's like uh, John knew your break, and God decided to give him a break because um. He's told to eat the little book. I think the little book and the scroll that he eats, uh, I think it's the same one that we had in chapter six. It's it's uh, bittersweet. He's teaching John about how the little book is bittersweet. It's great because it's the revelation of Jesus Christ, and he's taken back creation, um, but at the same time it's bitter in your in your belly because um, of all the horrors that are, are coming down and, and all the death and so forth. So it's it's a bittersweet kind of a thing. And then you have the two witnesses in in chapter eleven. And so forth. And then we've got, um, let's see here, we've got going on here, make sure I didn't miss something over here. And then now we have chapter 12, where the remaining time is 1260 days. 1260 says the woman's fled fled, fled into the wilderness, uh, the woman being Israel, where she has a place prepared by God which she's where she's nourished for 1260 days. And uh, this is the same imagery as was given to Joseph about the, the woman and the uh, 12 tribes and so forth. It fits that imagery perfectly. And then, um, let's see here. So we've got uh, chapter 12. We have war in heaven that's been going on, right? And Satan's kicked to the earth. And then you have the abomination of desolation, which happens. And that picks up... Um, Really, we, we understand more of that when we get into chapter 13 and 14 where um, the beast, um, the Antichrist, goes into the temple. He stops the sacrifices and uh, sets up an image of the beast to be worshipped. He stands in the middle of the temple, Second Thessalonians 2, and declares himself God. And we have the woman fleeing into the wilderness to uh, Petra up in the mountains. Um, so we this is all the events that kick off. The Great Tribulation, and the Great Tribulation we know is um, uh, also known as. Here's another way of looking at it: it's the second half. It's 42 months, or, or she's over there for Israel. Is that they're hiding for a time, times and half a time? Is all Israel where known? Zechariah we read that if I if I've got this right, it's something like um, half of Jerusalem um, is uh, is saved as a remnant, and they go off, but then one third. Only one third of Israel as a whole goes and flees. So there's some people who choose to stay behind. So God always has His remnant, not everybody's saved. Um, and there are many times of judgment in the Old Testament with Israel, uh, particularly in the wilderness, where we see the you know, ground opened up and swallowed people, what have you. So, but God always has His remnant that He He carries through. So. Uh, What I'm showing here is that, um, is an overall timeline in the year it starts, you know, like toward the end of the first year, it would be the rapture. And, um, we're looking at chapter 13 now, which is, uh, chapter 13 to 14 is where we see the beast system set up and the number of the beast. Now, something about the number of the beast, there is no, there is no beast system right now. Nobody coming at you to, um, Give you a poke in the arm, or insert a chip into you, or um, put a tattoo on you, or nanites in your blood, or anything like that. Those might all be precursors. Might be the way that the, the um, beast system will end up working eventually. But you got to have a beast before you can have a beast system. Part of that. None of that is going to send you to hell. What sends you to hell? Is um, worshiping to get that stuff because you know your life is more important to you than the Lord, and so you're going to bow down and worship, and you're going to worship the beast. That's what's going to send people to hell. Um, it's not so much the nature of the mark, the jab, the you know whatever it is that's going on and how that plays out. You got to worship to get it, and that's what does it, and uh, then you're you're doomed at that point. So. Then, if I flip it through my Bible here, so we've got, in, in chapter 14, it talks about, you know, the gathering of the nations and so forth. Things are starting to set up and, and things are shifting and moving as they must by this time. It takes a lot of energy, money, and effort to move armies all over the place. So armies are going to start gathering and moving toward um, Armageddon because Satan's getting ready to do all this stuff, right? So we got the prelude to the bowl judgments in chapter 15. And, um, and it's a describes a tabernacle in a different group of people than we've seen elsewhere. And in chapter 16, you've got the bold judgments. Chapter 16 is the bold judgments. And um, you know, you've got um, men scorched, like I said, darkness and pain. Euphrates is dried up. Uh, the earth is utterly shaken at this point. You In chapter 17 and 18, you've got, both legs of the of the Babylonian system, um, being destroyed by Antichrist. What, what, you know, one is the governmental monetary um, system of the earth, the world system being destroyed. But you've also got the um, you know Mystery Babylon being destroyed, which is the religious system, and all of that sets up for um, Chapter 19, where the announcements of uh, Christ coming and we hear John's down on earth and he's hearing this proclamation from the heavens. He's down on earth and he's hearing this from up over his head, um, you know, saying, uh, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb because they know it's close. Jesus comes and comes on the white horse in chapter 19, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. And um, and then we've got him, as we see in um, passages in the Old Testament, where he is wiping out the Antichrist's armies. He's gathering and rescuing his saints that are in Petra. There's the Valley of Decision, um, or the sheep and the goats at that point, where you've got the um, goats cast into outer darkness, and then you've got the lambs on on his right. And these are all survivors, mortals of the tribulation at this point. And then you've got the marriage supper of the Lamb, and that's another thing that this happens that's different than the way some people understand it. They're thinking the marriage supper of the Lamb happens as soon as you're raptured you go to heaven. No, not quite. That's seven years of celebration. Um, in the Hebrew wedding tradition, it's it's a week-long celebration, seven days, and uh, they're celebrating. At the end of the, the week, um, the doors of the Father's house are thrown open. And the guests are invited, and at that time there's an announcement. Um, She might often be veiled again, just for the fun of it. And so um, the announcement is is made, Behold the bride, now wife of the Lamb. And they take off the veil, everybody's excited and shouting and so forth. And that's when the public marriage supper happens. And the guests are all brought in and stuff. And so the tables are all set up outside in the courtyard, what have you, and you have this big public marriage supper. So that's the marriage supper of the Lamb. So all the Old Testament saints are going to be there. Um, All the saints um, who are um, martyred, they get their glorified bodies. So those are the forms of the resurrection that happened there. Um, And then, of course, the church, the Bride of Christ, is there, of course, because she's the bride. She's not one of the guests. She's the bride. that's, That's us. So we in Christ, and it's our marriage supper. It's at the end. So um, we're there, the doors are opened up, and the the guests come in. Now, I want to point out that the events that happen in in Chapter 20 are coincidental. They go along with, in concert with, Chapter 21. A lot of people on timelines don't um, put this together this way, but this is restoration. Uh, The world's got to be restored as it must because it's trashed. So we're not going to have kingdom, we're not going to have paradise on earth, we're not going to have the millennium if everything's still bloody and sooty and poisoned and whatever else. So We have Jesus making all things new. So in in chapter 20, it describes the people, the characters, Satan and his ilk, and uh, what happens to those in judgment and God's people um, going forward into the millennium. What happens then from the tribulation and going into the millennium? And this t- is a big who's who. So chapter twenty is the big who's who. Chapter twenty one picks up the narrative from where chapter nineteen left off, and Jesus he said making all things new. Um, and w- there's a number of reasons why uh, we see that chapter twenty one is picking up the narrative. For well, one thing is we've we've got uh, we've got. John in there in heaven and he's talking to an angel who still has a bowl in his hands. That wouldn't be a thousand years later. And he's he's pointing out the holy city, New Jerusalem, which is our home, uh, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So we, we live in that. Why would we still be up there in heaven? No, we come down with Christ at the end of the tribulation. So this is all about us. The narrative again picks up. And um, rem- remember, we also have... Um, described inside of New Jerusalem in chapter 21, this, this great tree that's got some leaves in it on the tree that are for the healing of the nations. Well, if that all is after the new heaven and new earth, which is supposed to be at the end of the millennium in some timelines, what? who needs healed? Everybody's perfect, new heaven and new earth, why do we need healing? No. so the New Jerusalem is, is hovering slightly over the earth, it's our home. During the millennium, you got New Jerusalem and Old Jerusalem there. The church, the bride, now wife of Christ, is dwelling in there. Christ has a throne there. Christ has a throne in the temple. Christ has a throne in Jerusalem. Christ has a throne wherever he decides to sit. That's his throne. Um, Remember, chapter 20 talks about the great white throne judgment, right? So if that's been back in chapter 20, why would you have... um, Jesus talking about in chapter 22 um, about the holy city, outsider dogs, these sorcerers, these and sexually immoral, and murderers, and idolaters, and whoever loves and practices a lie. Well, wait, they're all gone. If we believe that this is all stuff that he's describing that takes place um, after the great white throne judgment in chapter 20, see, so this just demonstrates that chapter 21 and going into chapter um, 22 a bit all about New Jerusalem. We come back. That's all part of the new heaven and new earth, the restoration that begins chapter 20 and chapter 21. Great White Throne Judgment happens at the end of all of that. And frankly, we don't know a lot about what happens after the Great White Throne Judgment into eternity in future. I hasn't seen, yours hasn't heard, nor has it even entered into the heart of man, uh, you know, or into man's uh, imagination, what God has in store for uh, for those who love him. so we don't know what goes on in eternity future, but it's it's got to be wonderful. So uh, here we've uh, I've kind of listed what's parenthetic. Um, here's another way of looking at at this again. As you can see, on the left hand side we have chapter one, and that's where Jesus comes to John, and um, starts talking to him about what's going to be happening here, and then um, chapter two and three the things that are um and so that's the churches chapter four and five is he's in the before the throne room of uh, of god in those in those chapters and then um chapter six starts the seals so you can see that scroll there the title deed of heaven and earth and um it's gonna end up being uh opened like so so it's the lamb of god who opens the seals. so we know wrath starts right away it's called wrath by the time you get to the end of the chapter, and you know you get a few verses into it, and you've already got two billion people dead, being killed by animals and and uh, all kinds of means and famine. So and it's all described as the wrath of the Lamb, and it's the Lamb who's opening the seals and doing this. He is the one who is is doing this. So uh, again, chapter seven is a parenthetic, as I say, and then we have this parenthetic right here that points to chapter seven, and we have chapter eight which um, is the prelude going up to um, opening of, or the sounding of the trumpet judgments. And um, you can see those trumpet one, trumpet two, the third trumpet, fourth trumpet, and it's the fifth trumpet. And without going into and reading what all these are, you got a wall coming in here and that's in, in chapter nine. And then you've got the six trumpets preparing to sound um, the seventh trumpet, which will kick off the bowls. But before then, you've got another parenthetical chapter, again, chapter 10, as I described. And uh, here's this parenthetic that happens, chapter 10. And then uh, chapter 11 is going to be about uh, the two witnesses, C11a on the far... Left-hand side of your screen there. That's about the two witnesses. Okay, and then you've got uh, 11b, and the uh, another wall kicks off right here about this time. Chapter 12, you know, Satan kicked out of heaven and so forth. 13, 14, you got the beast system going on with uh, Antichrist and um, the false prophet and so forth. All that. All that great tribulation stuff is happening. And then the seventh trumpet sounds. Um, so you've got all this preparation going to happen for, um, you know, the, and the Euphrates drawing up and the armies gathering and so forth, getting ready for Armageddon and all that kind of stuff that happens. Um, some bad news. And uh, so we've got a woe up there. Chapter 12 is the third woe, as we read. And then um, 16, you can see the bowls dumping over down at the bottom. Chapter 16 are the seven bowls. And then there's the fourth bowl. And the fifth bowl. I know I'm a geek for making this, huh? But, but I wanted it to be animated and interesting to look at at least. And then you've got uh, another, you've got Armageddon that actually starts kicking off right there in between chapters. Or bowls six and seven is actual Armageddon. You got the seventh bowl by the time you get to 18. So that's all answers gets into the second half of what we're looking at in 14A and, and then the third part of chapter 14. You might want to take a look at, at those. Um, and let's see here we've got also these chapters here. Notice that um, chapter 17 is a parenthetic, and it is about events that are a little bit earlier. But chapter 19 is the second coming. And notice I have 20 equals 21, because they, they both those are both millennial chapters. One describes all the people and players and where they are. Chapter 21 describes the events. I believe they're both talking about the kingdom era. One is about all the players, all the people, the different parties involved characters however you want to put that chapter 21 is the events Um, chapter 22 um, a is is going to be getting into about it goes into um well a bunch of stuff about new jerusalem and so forth and we have more of that in chapter 22 but chapter the second half of chapter 22 though is really jesus signing off and giving his final last words his last comments to the book, so that is uh, as quick an overview as I can give of the book with a couple different timelines, a couple of 3 different ways of looking at it. And I hope you enjoyed it. And I hope it clarifies things for you. They again, some people, like I said, some people will try to say the seals and the trumpets and the bowls all happen at the same time. And they all, they're all just a restatement of 1 another and they all happen in 1 big clump. and And they can't. They can't, like I say, because you've got different quantities of things that are described in each one in in the seals it's uh one quarter one-fourth of things but at, like birth pangs they start off smaller and they build with intensity And we've heard birth pangs used um a number of times when it comes to um descriptions of the end times um so this again this is the same kind of thing with birth pangs you so you've got the seal judgments which are in quarters a quarter of the earth is this and a quarter of this is that and whatever else goes on then you get to the trumpets and those are in thirds it doesn't really give the quantities in the bowls maybe it's halves of what's left which seems reasonable to me because you're going um you know from quarters to thirds and probably half with the bowls so you really have a small remnant left by the time you get to the end of the book and that's why the days shorten. shortened because uh, if the Lord had not stepped down in chapter 19, then so those days are shortened by his return, then no flesh would be saved. Because you could see the trajectory of where it's going. we got army gun going on here. Already more than half the world is wiped out. And everything's burning and there's no water to drink. So if Jesus didn't come back when he did, no flesh would be saved. So that's how those days are shortened. No, the days aren't compressing and going from you know, 24-hour days to 20- or 15-hour days or 10-hour days or whatever. There's no there's no precedence for that at all. The days are shortened by Christ's return. He steps down in the nick of time to save the remnant that's left. Uh, I have realized that was a lot in a short, condensed space, but I hope the overview helps you as you're being like the brain and you're reading and you're testing the things I say and that everybody else says and examining those things. Um, and uh, if you have questions, feel free to comment. And I'll try to get to them. I I try to read them, but you know that the numbers are growing as far as people looking and looking at these things. And, and uh, one of the ways I might respond, especially if a lot of the questions and comments are similar is follow up with, with, uh, you know, more videos. And I might do a Q and A video. Um, I might even do a Q and A. I've mentioned this before. I might even do a a live Q and A type of video where, you know, your comments are scrolling on the side. And uh, maybe I can read some of them and maybe, maybe I can go and try to answer them as I go. But I'm not sure. That I might be inviting insanity there because they can scroll so quickly with the number of people slapping down comments and sometimes rude comments as <laughs> we go. I don't know. If, but, you know, ain't nobody got time for that. Um, I know I, I probably don't. It's kind of, it's probably asking for trouble. So anyway, um, I hope you're blessed by this and I hope you're blessed by spending time in the Word all the videos and things that are out there. Are awesome. Great. Spend time in, um, researching and watching videos and so forth, um, reading books, but mostly read the Bible, put your nose in the Bible and study that and, um, look at it with a critical lens. What other people are teaching, what I'm teaching and compare it with scripture and see how it stands up. Um, don't believe everything you hear. Don't believe all the dreams and visions and, um, Things that people are claiming that, and, uh, uh I mean, a, some people come up with some funny math and some people are coming up with some funny words and ways of adding things. Don't 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 uh, try to add numbers and bring numbers in and bring numbers in from, like, the Strong's exhaustive concordance, like, right? strong strong was a, a, a good man. Um, he invented a great system for tracking. Uh, the Greek and Hebrew words and putting in almost like a dictionary type of a format cataloged numerically so we could find them easily and cross-reference them but it's not inspired the verse breaks and chapter breaks in your Bible are not inspired these are all man-made things as uh, to make it helpful they hoped or thought uh, to make it helpful in reading the Bible and in comprehending the Bible and being able to find things, they put verses in so that you could cross-reference and take things. But these are all man-made. The you know, Strong's exhaustive concordance. You don't go and take some math and go, ooh, this word is this, and hey, that Strong's number is this. And if you take the Strong's number, which is, you know, 432, and you add it together with this, it comes out to this, and it's this year, you can't do that. It's not proper way to execute. Look at context, 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 context. That tells you whether you should or can use a particular number you're reading in the Bible or not. Just try to be real and um, don't stretch things and try to shoehorn things together to make them fit. You're, you're just gonna end up off the mark and lost. You wanna um, rightly divide the word of truth. And that's the best way to do it. Uh, just preach the gospel out there. Jesus Christ, 2000 years ago, um, live the perfect life that we could not live. His righteousness is imputed to those who believe. Faith is granted to those who, uh, who uh, he calls. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So whereas we're dead in trespass and trespassing sins, his Holy Spirit quickens us and helps us to see the light. The Father calls us. The Father draws us. To the son jesus says i'll not lose one of my sheep who the father has given me he won't lose even one pray for those who are lost share the gospel he died on the cross for our sins paid for our sins his righteousness is imputed unto us uh any wrath that we should go through as believers has already been taken care of on the cross jesus took the wrath of god on the cross and three days later he rose from the dead And because he rose physically from the dead, someday we will too. And um, so get out there and share the word with people, pray for people, and keep looking up. When you see the beginning of these things happening, we are told, look up for your redemption draws nigh. And it is near. And um, Scripture, I believe, indicates and drops enough hints that shows that it's near. And uh, also, you could just sense it. You could just feel it too. Feelings are very subjective. So take it to the scripture and verify all things. God bless.